0: Yemaya Asesu Sue, Yemaya Yemaya says, Sue, Yemaya Yemaya, Olodo Lodo, Lodo, Yemaya. Yemaya Olodo, Olodo, Yemaya. June 1st, 2020. The country has been on fire for the last six days. Last week, officers, well, one police officer named Derek Chauvin, killed a Black man in Minneapolis named George Floyd. The officer put his knee on his neck and kept it there for eight minutes and 46 seconds, even though Floyd kept saying, I can't breathe. He begged, he pleaded, he called for his mama until he ran out of air, went unconscious, and then he died. There are not enough words to tell you how this hurts me. Last week, I saw a photo of you, perfect and whole in the safe darkness of my womb. It felt like falling in love, such tiny, intricate beauty. It was all I could do not to begin weeping, although I could not stop the tears from rolling down my face. And then I think of George Floyd, and I think of his mama, and I think to myself, how on earth will I teach this tiny black person how to survive in this world? How does any black parent do it? I have said that becoming your mother is already humbling me in ways I could never have imagined. Perhaps the most humbling lesson is coming to accept that I cannot shield you from the world, that I cannot protect the most amazing thing I've ever made from harm or violence. I cannot control how you experience the world. All I can do, tiny one, is love you and teach you to be smart, to be mindful, to be kind, to be brave, to be loved, to be free, and pray that is enough and accept that it might not be. I have been afraid of children, afraid to bring little black people here. This world is very cruel, but you chose to come here. You chose me and your father. You chose this moment. There is purpose and meaning and divine intention in this, my willful tiny person. If your destiny is to be here with us, then I will help you walk your path. That is a promise I can keep. No matter where that path leads, I will walk it with you until it is my time to join the ancestors. And you will see, little one, that there is also great beauty and magic in the world. We'll get to experience that together too. I can't wait to show you.
1: I was Kearney Desiria-Morris, I am Igor Ramirez, and this is Stage. You know, producing each one of these episodes is a journey, and I want to thank Kearney and Ashara Kundayo, our guest host, for actually bringing me closer to my very own roots. Turns out I was born in the Caribbean, in the mystical island of Cuba. It was pretty much a coincidence. My parents were working there at the time, and I came to the world prematurely. It was meant to be. And 37 years later, for me, a white man, living now on a different island, across the Atlantic and the Mediterranean, where we have our own goddess, Tanit, I get to draw so many parallelisms, and at the same time, I acknowledge the difference and the hardships of some situations. I really hope this episode opens up a learning process for you in the same way it did for me. After all, we all have something to heal. I leave you now with Ashara. Hope you enjoy it.
2: Greetings everyone, my name is Ashara Ekundayo. I am an independent curator, living and working primarily in Oakland, California in the United States. I'm honored to be joined today by three beautiful and amazing storyteller, cultural worker, artist, black women. Courtney Desiree Morris is a visual and conceptual artist and assistant professor of gender and women's studies at the University of California, Berkeley. Ayana Omilade Fluellen is a Black feminist, an archaeologist, a storyteller, and an artist. As a scholar of anthropology and African and African diasporic studies, Fluellen's intellectual genealogy is shaped by critical theory rooted in Black feminist epistemology and pedagogy. Plywelyn is also the co-founder and current president elect of the Society of Black Archaeologists and sits on the board of Diving with a Purpose. Plewellyn has been featured in National Geographic, Science Magazine, and PBS, and regularly presents her work at institutions, including the National Museum for Women in the Arts. Sharon served as anchor artist for the Austin Project, produced by Dr. Omi Oshun Joni L. Jones, and the John L. Warfield Center for African and African-American Studies at the University of Texas at Austin, where she first met and worked with Courtney. Sharon is co-editor with Omi Oshun L. Jones and Lisa Lynn Moore of Experiments in a Jazz Aesthetic, Art, Activism, Academia, and the Austin Project, produced by the University of Texas Press. Ayana, as artists whose creative practices are also rooted and draw from IFA and Orisha Cosmologies, can you share your thoughts about the work? So as I was listening
3: and witnessing your work in the videos, but I've been sitting a lot with what it means to locate Blackness in the Atlantic, or rather the fluidity of water, and really sort of thinking through what it means to sort of pull ourselves away from a land-based understanding of self that can be so so stagnant in many ways and what thinking about water and the nat and the properties of water the ways in which it pulls water water will pull itself together and thinking through what it means for us to be pulling towards it and it pulling towards us
4: for myself It took me immediately into a great awe of the mystery of the womb, of the power of Yemaya and the brilliance of the ancestors, and how the past, the present, like the unborn, the being born, the dead, the living, like everything exists to me in that womb. And I feel, I felt like The baby, the spirit that is coming is actually driving everything. And as that spirit is coming, you get to heal and be more in your power, all in your lineage surrounding and the baby's lineages surrounding them gets to be more in their power. And we get to, therefore, be more active in making the world better. Personally, it it just really landed in a very deep place. And in what I now know as fact is that because that child in my belly changed me and made me love so hard that I was willing to be better, but because of how deep that love was in my belly, it woke up something in me that was ancestral. And I think that, and then therefore... There was hope for that child. There was hope for my mother. And there was hope for what I actually came here to do. So a lot of things, a lot of questions. One of the questions that came forward for for me when I was watching is, especially I am a gender and have always been genderqueer, but I do identify as female. And I also don't think there's a word for my gender yet mermaid is actually my word. But um a question that came up for me about halfway through was um, well two questions that I'll share now. What happens to grief that is buried so deep in the belly? Like what happens to the grief that's there already that gets sparked, that gets opened, that gets washed. So that was a, a, a question. And then another question was what a how is the mothering in the belly for the barren and for people that choose not to mother? And then just thinking of genders as not male and female, you know, for those without wounds, but who are children of Yamaya. So
0: I really have so much more um, respect and appreciation for the ocean as a queer landscape or as a kind of a a kind of queer ecological uh, space. And, you know, queer in the sense that it is uh, that it is fluid, queer in the sense that it is unknowable, queer that in the sense that it is inscrutable, queer in the sense that it demands um, a certain kind of opacity um, and refuses to sort of be knowable in its entirety, that it has this really deep capacity for change, right? Um, and, and kind of rejects any attempts towards containment. And that, for me, is how I, I really think about queerness. In its essence, is this kind of refusal of containment and definition and, and rigidity. And, you know, for me, what's so interesting about Orisha Cosmology and, and Ifa is, like, it's very revealing, I think, that the two Orisha who are associated with the ocean are, are also deeply queer you know olokun you know who rules the depths and the bottom of the sea and is is male and female and neither and both and that's you know that's kind of normalized in a way that i think is really productive but then yemaya also is known um, in the tradition like there are patakis but did you read about yemaya that she has also a deep affinity for queer for queer children right like many of her children are queer and this is one of the kind of defining um, markers of her and i think it really speaks to like this sense of motherhood as a, a practice of love that's really expansive, and you know, for me, I you know, I think I've always tended to think of mothering as as like a practice rather than it's a practice that's embodied, but it's not sort of limited to particular kinds of bodies. You know, I think that you know, if anything, I think the experience of Black people in the West has been one of you know we've had to mother ourselves through a lot of really horrible things um, and to create family under conditions of brutality that don't really allow for, or I think that would, um, I think we've had to mother under conditions of brutality that, uh, have forced us to really reject kind of heteronormative ideals of the family and to recognize that there are lots of different kinds of people who are, who are mothering in in order to create black future, um, that there can be no, there can be no future if we don't Sort of recognize and acknowledge and honor the mothering practices of a variety of different kinds of people who, who, you know, quite frankly, have made it possible for us to survive.
2: What came up for me at first was really my own relationship to the ocean, being Omo Olokun, being Omo Yemaya, being a practitioner of Ifa, and also having a, a Dharma practice as well. You know, the conversations on impermanence and fluidity and moving in a practice and these there's something about me witnessing the joy of you in this new state of motherhood and thinking about my state of motherhood that the two children that that I did birth through my body will be 30 and 35 years old this year and so we have these conversations around safety in both of my children uh, are cisgender male heterosexual beings and there is not a day in the last 35 years that I have not feared for their life knowing that the last time that they were actually really safe was when they were in my body. And so the safety of space, the importance of space and the time that I had them safe and knew that they were safe or at least I had the um, the idea that I was safe, and therefore they were safe, was a long time ago. And as we're continuing in in this conversation, it's it's not surprising that that we're witnessing this deep return to the wisdom of Ifa as an Earth-based indigenous African spiritual tradition in this moment when the survival of humans and non-human life on the planet is so impelled. I want to see if we can pull the thread some on. The ecological concerns that you see playing out in Sopeta and that you consider in your work and how Orisha can teach us how to be in right relationship with the earth, but also the conversation around safety and well-being and care and caretaking of one another in partnership with the element, because it's an element that we all know, that we all breathe through this element in the belly of our of our parent. We all breathe this element and we knew how to survive in this element and everything on planet water needs this element to sustain itself. So, how can Orisha teach us how to be in right relationship with the earth? And what is the medicine Orisha is offering to us right now as artists, channeling the work and in this work, tapping into the earth wisdom that is spiritual, that is traditional, and that can be provided from our knowing and our understanding and our witnessing of it? Orisha, and with
3: Ifa. Is what it means to surrender and to literally accept that we don't know and that it's okay. And there's a way that with Yemoya and the vastness, with Olokun and their depths, there is a truth that we do not know and yet a knowing that we're held and cared for. And I feel like that comes up so. Thoroughly for me, when I think about history and memory and what it means to go to water spaces to do that kind of healing work, because there's knowledge held there. And the knowledge that is held there is shared with us through that practice of surrender, right? So nothing that I uncovered, nothing that Courtney has. Um, uncovered and breathed life into feels like it's hers or mine. It feels like it was allowed for us to be in this space, to be privy to this knowledge. That there's a way that with ocean, with ocean that literally is covering and uncovering histories that are held in our waters, that we are being allowed to know things. And if we surrender to that, that like that process, instead of like grasping towards this Western notion of like expertise, and we have to know, we have to know, we have to know. um, I feel like that's been my biggest, my biggest invitation.
4: So I am a child of Yamaya. I am not currently practicing, but being initiated and everything leading up to that synced up something so deep in my soul that I know that it changed me in past lives and caught me up. I know that that is why my daughter is so powerfully, beautifully herself and why my mother has sweetened. And so I think that there's something about the, uh, first of all, I think they choose us because they have stuff that we need. So Yemaya, I picked, she was like, you my child here, you need this. It was Oshun that took me to Yamayado. That sweetness, following that sweetness, took me there. I needed mothering. Uh, Nobody had to tell me that I was a child of the ocean. I knew that before I had any language for any of this. But first of all, they work together. So if we pay attention to nature, we learn everything. And one of the things that's clear is, you know, they work together. And so how how we can fully be ourselves, stand open, as Ayanna says, surrender and contribute and participate, I think are some of the lessons. But more than anything, for me, it carried me, it activated blood memory in a way that I think my soul, before it came, intended for me to understand. So I don't have to have literal language for it. I don't have to intellectually be able to talk about it. But in my bone marrow, as Lori Carlos would say, I know the truth.
2: Sure. Sharon, sure. something you, you just said was about all that is going on in the world. I'm thinking about what it means to be a Black person and what it means to be a Black mother and what it means to be a mother of a Black child, because not all Black children have Black mothers. And what it means to be an artist living in the West under a regime of racial terror at this historical moment, uh, at a moment where art was being made during a global pandemic, uh, a surge and a shift in how we think about time and history. What does it mean to bring a Black person into a society defined by white supremacist violence?
3: Within Courtney's work is an invitation to center on Black life. And I think that in the in the space of not only witnessing them in like the fullness of their motherhood, but also in one of the videos, witnessing an elder speak, like there is a way that there was this invitation to understand the historical context of this moment being one that is riddled with the current hyper-visibility of Black. Harm, violence, death. But the invitation that I received from Courtney's work was to think about what it meant to and means to center on life and center on the futurity of our lives as Black people. And that invitation for me is the reminder that we exist in the future, that the futurity of us is not this moment. And that the child that's being birthed, and there's a way that like thinking through that and focusing on the life allows me to center on futurity, allows me to know that there are people who look like me, who breathe like me, and in, in the future. So while this world and Western society would so readily have me believe, that this Black body, flesh, breath don't mean anything, I am convinced that they're wrong. And there is nothing they can do to say. There's nothing they can do to convince me otherwise. And your work was the invitation to lean into that with the knowing and understanding, not the blinding of like what is here right now, but the knowing that what coexists right now is not all that there is, even in this right now moment. And it's certainly not what we're projecting for what we will experience, how we will be, re-interact with the world around us in the future. It reminded
4: me, we've always been going to the water. Like, no matter what we say our religion is, no matter where we're from or what our age is, we've been going to the water. And so that being washed, knowing the sacredness of the water feels passed on, passed down, you know? And I feel like there are so many things that have been passed down that help us thrive, help us survive, help us move the future forward, help us be broken and still love, help us make unthinkable things happen that are beautiful and profound despite our circumstances. I think I think of Friday nights, my mama's parties, with the food, the laughter, the finger popping, the crying, the the storytelling, the repeating of things, so the repetition, the dancing. I think of my fathers, I call it now, I call it transgressive joy. He had a good time. And he loved people and he showed up for people and people showed up for him. Like this is what we do. No matter what we call it, we are conjurers making ceremony all the time. That's why we're here alive right now, us, because that's been done, that's what we're doing, and it's gonna always be.
3: There's archaeological work that has centered on thinking through the materiality of Black ritual spaces from enslavement now here on this side of the Atlantic. So there's like a knowing and a material resonance. Right, of the actions and the practice of breaking vessels, of being in water, of being in ritual that's so firmly ingrained in us.
2: Ayana, let's talk more about this Black archaeology and about diving with a purpose, which I see the vision of the work that you are doing says that it's an organization providing education and training programs. Mission leadership and project support services for submerged heritage, preservation and conservation projects worldwide with a focus on the African diaspora. Can you talk more about the connection to to that physical work, to that scholarship and the relationship to Sopera and this work that Courtney has offered for us to, to go deep, to go down to the bottom?
3: Diving with a Purpose feels like the future of historic preservation that's happening now, and it's an organization that is not rooted in academia in any sense of the word. These are people who's, who are of the community, as I am, are of the community taking charge of what it looks like to care for our heritage, both underwater, and then with me being a terrestrial archaeologist on land as well, and the ways in which I've come to understand how what is shared with me, whether I am diving and searching for anomalies on the sea floor that might relate to a shipwreck from centuries ago, or excavating and unearthing layer by layer on land to experience and learn more about the everyday lives of the enslaved. All of that is an act of surrender to what I'm being given permission to know, right? So I think about, you know, diving with a purpose and what it means to actually search the ocean floor for histories that are constantly in motion. And what I felt, especially like with this real like deep sort of thinking around what time looks like for Blackness, especially in Courtney's work, is thinking about how our sort of socialization around history in this Western context wants us to think that history is stagnant; it is something that happened. We are talking about it now, but it does not exist anymore. What water has taught me, and what I see in Courtney's work, is that everything is constantly in motion. So that even the the notion that history is not constantly shifting and changing literally doesn't make sense to me when. We're only granted permission to even know about certain anomalies that we find underwater simply because of the ways in which the sand has shifted because of the currents in the ocean. So a hurricane will roll through the Caribbean and shift like inches of sand, meters of sand. I'm thinking of like my work in St. Croix from one side of the island to the other side and completely cover up histories or reveal them. And that process of uncovering and revealing is for me the acknowledgement that I do not have control over what the ocean wants
2: to share with me and when it wants to share it. And this, this uncovering and revealing process that you're speaking of, Ayana, is absolutely the process of parenting. It is absolutely the same motion, the same process. Because you think you know something, but you might not really understand it. And that is part of what happens in parenting. And whether that be revolutionary mothering or fathering or parenting or just being part of a family where we are all experiencing and participating practitioners of mothering with each other in our in our blood families and in our chosen families.
0: You know, in this moment, it feels really, as I was watching the protests last summer and thinking about like a lot of people when George Floyd was killed and, and how he called out for his mother, and this idea that we're in a moment where it feels like the mothers are showing up in a really, really active way. And Ifa has a lot to say about the role of the mothers in In shaping and holding the energy of the planet and, and dispensing justice and doing really important work in the world. And I really feel that we're in a moment where it's time for mothers of all kinds, right? Mothers of all kinds are emerging to do this work, to defend the future, to defend futures that we don't even know are possible yet. Like, you know, that part of the mothering practice is holding space for futures that we haven't imagined yet, for people that we haven't imagined yet. I don't know that a lot of people could have imagined like, the rise of trans politics and trans being in the world as it is right now. And yet here we are and here they are, like, in all of their fullness and beauty, forcing everybody to change and grow up. And I want to think about, like, these are people who maybe certain certain people couldn't have imagined. But I, I feel like, yeah, I want to think about a mothering practice as like a political stance, as an aesthetic stance, as a spiritual stance of like, holding that space for possibilities that haven't even been born yet but that exists nonetheless. And, and in time, when the earth is ready, when, the, when society is ready, those possibilities will be, made known to, will be made known to us when we're ready for them. You know,
2: it's, it's, it's bringing forward for me in listening to you, Courtney, um, what, uh, what Sharon calls ritual jazz theater. It's bringing forward the possibility that there is improvisation and unknowing that can be explored when you know your scales, when you have your chops, when you have your base, then it's like, boom, when it's your time to solo, you can go. And there's this experience of the unknowing. You don't know when it's going to come. You don't know who's going to go before you. You don't know who's coming after you. And that is the process of being you know, part of this whole ecosystem of of love and understanding, yeah? It's like the ancestors before me, those of us here now, those of us coming, it's like each generation has to have their chops ready so that they can flow, so that there can be an experience in which our ancestors coming after us come and try to excavate and document because we've left them an archive. And that's how I'm looking at what you're offering through this work, through this, these chapters is an archive for us to excavate and to, um, to find ourselves in. Sharon, can you can you share some more about you know your process and its relationship to jazz epistemology and how that shows, and how that can show up you know in, in conversation with the natural world and with this conversation with Courtney's work?
4: The most important thing is to be present. And so that is uh, this, this, what you said, Ayana, about surrender. There is a powerful surrender that has to happen when you choose to be present. And in being present, like you were saying, Ashara, you're there with all your training, with all your chops, with all your experiences, and you are knowing nothing. You're listening for the thing that you don't know. You're not trying to play the same note. You're not trying to write the same piece. You're listening for the thing that wants to come through. Like I feel like my writing happens through my right ear. It's the ancestors, they come through, and they get in, and I open to them, and the stories that want to come, come. I work hard, I research, I pray a lot. I'm really just trying to tell stories as good as my, right? And I'm really just trying to tell stories as good as my family tells stories, where everything's happening all at the same time. And there is always a prayer that gets activated. And the family history is the point. And really, the process of being present inside of that activates my own growth, because everything that they did was for me. Everything that I do is for my child. every way that i that I show up is because I want to contribute, and I am held and I am lifted. So the being present is a deep thing. It's all of that at the same time. It's the deep listening from a place of surrender that allows spirit to come in. It's the activation of what you don't know that creates magic, and it's the magic that gets stirred by simultaneity, polyrhythms, the dancing, the singing, the spoken word, the collective intention that happens in witnessing and participation. So it's all of that.
1: Today's artist was Corny Desirah Morris. Our guest journalist was Ashara Ekundayo. Remember to check out our platform on www.stage.tva21.org. The Editor-in-Chief of Stage is Francesca thyssen Carlos Urroz is the Director of Thyssen-Bornemisa Art Contemporary. Soledad Gutiérrez is our Content Curator. John Aranguren is our Curatorial Assistant. Our Producers are Soledad and myself, Igor Ramírez. Nina Esperanda is our Project Manager. This episode was edited by Ana Esteve. And our theme music is by Karl Michael von Hauswolf.